Matthew 4, 23 through 25. uh, We're heading towards a transition point in Matthew's gospel. And uh, this is the last section we'll look at before we go to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is fortuitous because I'd mapped out between now and Easter, preaching through 1 Corinthians 15. Remember, we stopped at the end of 14, and said, I'm going to come back to 15, closer to Easter, and preach about the resurrection. And so next Sunday through Easter, we'll be in 1 Corinthians again to finish uh, chapter 15. And then I'll do 16 as two separate just video messages online for everybody who goes online and watches those. Uh, But today we're looking at kingdom kindness. Kingdom kindness. And so as we look at this passage, as I've been doing, I want to kind of give you the theological, you know, what's, what's the point, right? There's a literary kind of theological point that Matthew is trying to make, right? We've established that Matthew wants us to understand that Jesus Christ is the king. He is the rightful king of the Jews. He gives us the lineage, right? Um, and, and then he talks about the, the way Christ was born and the wise men coming to worship him. Okay, Jesus Christ is the king. And then the father announces from heaven, this is my son, the son that I, I love, right? I'm well pleased with him. And so he gets the stamp of approval from his father as uh, not only the Messiah, the king, but the son of God. And then he goes out into the wilderness and he's tempted. Um, and, and as I mentioned before, I, we looked at that passage that it was not uncommon in that day for kings, for the men who would be kings to undergo, uh, you know, a testing to prove their worthiness to be the king. And Jesus Christ went, underwent that temptation. And again, there was that parallel between Jesus and Israel. The Israel was tested in the wilderness. Jesus was tested in the wilderness. Israel failed. Jesus succeeded where Israel failed. And he is our representative. And then we looked last week at Jesus calling his followers. Well, there was a message before that. Last week we looked at Jesus calling his, calling his followers, and I challenged you to follow Jesus as you have been called to follow him. Well, now um, we're going to see Jesus start his healing ministry, right? And you think about Jesus and the Gospels, you think of what? You think of him healing people. And, and oftentimes we look at you know, Jesus healing people. There can be some misunderstanding about what's going on, why he's doing what he's doing. And this is very clear from Matthew's gospel, especially John's gospel, that when Jesus was performing miracles, it wasn't just for the sake of performing miracles. I mean, he wanted to heal people. He wanted to alleviate disease and affliction. Okay. But he was demonstrating that he truly is the Messiah. And so in this passage, the words and the works, or the work, I know work can be a collective singular, but the words and the works of Jesus demonstrate that he is the Messiah. So we can, we can look at this passage and split it up to the, the words of Jesus and the works of Jesus. And the works of Jesus validate, the work of Jesus validates his ministry as the Messiah. That's what Matthew's trying to accomplish here. But what I want you to see this morning kind of as an extension to this as it's part of the passage, but to, to kind of implore you, to exhort you, is to remind you that Jesus came to rescue you from the darkness, right? As you look at the plan of redemption from Genesis 3 moving forward, it is a rescue mission that 
that darkness has overtaken the world, that, that Satan is now the god of the world, that his demons are, are helping him out, right? And, and that, that sin and death have entered into the world. People are dying now. People are afflicted with illness and diseases. People are blinded to the truth of God. People are headed to hell. And Jesus, the Son of God, the King, the Messiah, the greatest superhero, enters into the time and space continuum to rescue us. And so we have this divine rescue mission. Jesus has come to rescue us from the dominion of darkness. And the amazing thing, it's just amazing, it shows you the power of sin, the power of darkness, is the world refuses Jesus Christ. The world refuses him. Sad. Let's look at the passage and see what we can learn from the passage this morning. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. There you have that concept of the kingdom. And healing every disease and every sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across from the Jordan followed him. And so as we consider this passage, there's a heavy emphasis on healing. Uh, We're going to come back to the issue of healing uh, as we look at other um, portions of Matthew's gospel. So I'm going to talk about healing and what Jesus is doing and the fact that, you know, in my pastoral ministry, I'm weekly, I'm praying so much for people that are physically infirm. They are sick. They need physical healing. Okay, it's, it's a big deal. Chronic pain and illness and chronic pain, uh, uh, just disease, it, it, it is a big deal, okay? And we all want to be uh, relieved of that. And we're going to talk more about that later on. But as we look, and I want you to learn, as we look at this from a literary perspective, okay, And I'm trying to help you understand, when you read the Gospels, understand that Matthew is a writer. He has skills, right? And the Holy Spirit's inspired him. And he's putting this Gospel together in a way that a good writer would. This is is the point that I want to get across, okay? I'm going to tell you this. And so, here it is right here. There it is right there. And here's a synopsis. I told you this. I'm going to tell it to you again, okay? A good author's going to do that. And so in Matthew 4, 23, 25, and in Matthew 9, 35, we see somewhat the same thing. Jesus, this is Matthew 9. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. Doesn't that sound just like the passage that we just wrote? We just read. Okay, it sounds just like it. And so what we have here in the fancy literary term is an inclusio. Okay, and really what they are is bookends. Okay, one bookend, let me go back here. One bookend is Matthew 4, 23 through 25. And then 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, the words of Jesus, the most incredible sermon ever preached, right? So we have the words of Jesus. And then in Matthew 8 and 9, we have the work of Jesus or the works of Jesus as he begins to heal people. And then in Matthew 9, 35, there's a summation of that. And it, and it just it pulls things together, right? Because Matthew has been taught how to write, and the Holy Spirit has inspired him. So you want to understand this as you read the text. 
So as we look at this, the outline is simple. Preaching and teaching, healing, and then those who followed him. And then I have a nice point to ponder at the end that you guys always enjoy. So the first thing we see is the preaching and teaching, the words of Jesus. We see that Jesus went throughout Galilee. Now, as we've gone through Matthew's gospel here, I know that you guys are familiar with where Galilee is, right? The Sea of Galilee, about the same size as Lake St. Clair. This is the headquarters of Jesus, most of his ministry uh, during the three years that he's ministering. Okay, and so he's in and around Galilee, mainly in Capernaum. That's where his, he's set up. And so you have on the map, there is where Capernaum is. There's where Galilee is. So he's going out throughout Galilee. And it's interesting that Galilee, I, when I think of that area at that time, I think of, I just think of that many people. But as I was reading and studying, there are actually many, many cities around the Sea of Galilee that aren't there now, but they were there then. Because this really, uh, this well-written historian named Josephus Flavius, okay, what a name, Josephus Flavius, after Jesus had resur- was resurrected and rose into heaven, you know, the next, you know, after him, G- uh, after Jesus did that, this historian wrote about that area and that era. And he says, this, one author says this about what Josephus wrote. He says, while Galilee was small, 70 by 40 miles, it had 204 villages and would take at least three months to traverse it at the rate of two to three villages of day, a day. Right? So there were a lot of cities that Jesus was going through as he ministered in Galilee. And those cities actually had a lot of people. At the time of Josephus, okay, if you look at you know, 40 years after Jesus is off the scene, okay, there were estimates of up to 3 million people in the area. This is what Josephus says. The cities are numerous. The multitudes of villages everywhere are crowded with men owing to the fertility of the soil so that the smallest of them contains 15,000 inhabitants. Josephus Flavius was a general. He took note of how many people were in certain towns. And he says the villages had a lot of people. So there are a lot of people in the area that Jesus was ministering to. So it took him a while to do this ministering in Galilee. And he went from town to town. He was teaching in their synagogues. Now the word synagogue means a gathering, a collecting place, a gathering place. It's where the people in the village would gather to worship, read the scriptures. Uh, They would be taught. They would have you know interaction? They would have um, all the meetings. The, the the center of life for the Jews in the city was the synagogue. That's that's where they gathered. And in Capernaum, thanks to my mom and dad, I got to go there. This is the exact uh, synagogue that we were walking around in uh, at in, in Capernaum. Uh, it doesn't seem that big, but it was the gathering place for the Jews. And, and the focus of the synagogue, and, and, and just as a matter of history, synagogues began during the time of the exile, right? The, the Jews are taken into captivity away from Jerusalem. They don't have the temple there, and they're taken into captivity, and so they would gather, you know, in small groups, and they would call it a synagogue. Not a temple, but a synagogue. A temple is where animal sacrifice is offered so that people can draw close to God. Synagogue is a meeting place. And the word of God was very important. Right? We've already talked about Luke chapter 4 where Jesus comes into the synagogue and it was customary to let the visiting or the itinerant preacher 
read the scrolls and do the teaching. And so Jesus was given the opportunity to read the Isaiah scroll in Luke chapter 4. So teaching was central to what happened there in the synagogue. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He went into the synagogue teaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And there's actually a difference between teaching and proclaiming. One commentary that I read says this, while there is overlap between preaching and teaching, there's also a distinction. Preaching is the banner flying atop the castle, seen far and wide, and teaching is the body of bricks and mortar that supports it, sought out by the followers. Teaching fills out the proclamation, explaining both its support and its implications. Right, so, so really, if you study what happened, expository preaching was what happened in the synagogues. They would, they would read the scroll. Somebody would teach them, this is, what, this is what it means in the scroll. This is what it was just read in Isaiah 61, okay? And the exhortation or the preaching is, is you need to change your life in light of the knowledge that you now have. Jesus is the Messiah. Today, in your presence, this prophecy is fulfilled. What are you going to do about it? That's the preaching, the proclamation. And so my simple mind, the way I think of it is this. Teaching is the impartation of information. Right? It's, it's, you want to try to get knowledge across. Preaching is exhortation. You're pleading for transformation. And so Jesus entered the synagogues, preaching and teaching. And what was he teaching? The good news of the kingdom. We've talked about the kingdom twice already. And the kingdom is a theme throughout Matthew's gospel. And we're going to learn more and more about the kingdom as we go through Matthew's gospel. So today we're going to spend a little bit of time on this topic, right? Because the title of the message is what? Kingdom kindness, right? Jesus came to rescue you from the kingdom of darkness to deliver you into his kingdom. So that's kind of the theme that we're looking at right now. So twice already we've seen the concept of kingdom, and John the Baptist says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, the kingdom of God is near. Jesus begins his ministry, repent, for the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is near. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, they're synonymous, they're the same thing. So, the question is, is if Jesus is preaching the good news of the kingdom, right? And that good word, good news, is the same word that we get the word gospel from. Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom, or the good news of the kingdom. Why is the kingdom such good news? Does it excite you to talk about the kingdom? That's Dr. That's Dr. Strange, okay, if you want to know who that is. Teach me. I've given you this slide already. The kingdom of heaven, or God, is and people, commentators, love, there's books, just big, heady books written on, right, is there really, is, it, is there just a spiritual kingdom, or the kingdom within you, is there a literal thousand-year kingdom, or the eternal kingdom, or what is the kingdom, right? And, and so guys a lot smarter than me have this figured out, but I'll give you an understanding of it. Jesus makes it clear, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, because he's there, wherever the king is, is the kingdom. Would you guys agree with that? If the king is there, the kingdom is present, right? There's also this spiritual aspect of the kingdom that Jesus comes to live within us, right? We're told that we have Christ in us 
the hope of glory. As a believer, Jesus Christ is Lord of your hearts. He is ruling over your hearts. You have a kingdom, if you will, in your heart. And Jesus Christ is ruling over that. There is in the future, I believe, Revelation 20 tells us, a 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ, a kingdom where he will rule from the throne in Jerusalem. But then there's this eternal kingdom, all right? Heaven, the new heaven and the new earth. Jesus was offering them a literal kingdom. And you'll learn more about why I say that in the coming weeks as we continue to go through God, Matthew's gospel. But why is the kingdom such good news? Why is it such good news? I want to paint a picture for you. I want you to think of a place where everybody has a transformed heart such that they desire to obey God. I want you to think of a place where there is a complete reorientation of morality standards. Has morality gotten flipped upside down in our culture right now? It has. I want you to think of a complete reorientation of moral standards. I want you to think of a place place where there is real social justice. Real social justice. Not the stuff that you hear on the radio or watch on social media. Real social justice. I want you to think of a place where there is always an abundance of food. There is the eradication of disease. I want you to think of a place where you have somebody who's leading the world who doesn't lie to you for his own purposes, but has your own good in mind and is leading righteously. I want you to think of a place where nations come from all over the world. And what the Bible says is, this is crazy. They're actually going to come in on a river into Jerusalem. And I don't, they're spiritual. (laughs) Zechariah 14. The nations are going to come to Jerusalem and they're going to worship Jesus. They're going to lay down gifts. This is a perfect world. I mean, just the eradication of disease is an amazing thought. In my job every day, I am faced with the fact that the evil in this world, Satan and sin and death, are trying to distort and destroy the beautiful image of God in people as I watch. I'm seeing people are dying right in front of my eyes, and that's because of sin. And the good news of the kingdom is is that that won't happen anymore. That's a place that I want to be. And Jesus was offering that to the people. It was prophesied in Isaiah's Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah is an important book to look at. And, And just as a matter of studying the book of Isaiah... There's a key phrase, in that day, in that day, in that day. It's kind of the, this is, wake up, I'm talking about the end. In that day could be like bad stuff, like you don't want to be there in that day. Or it could be good stuff, in that day you want to be there because it's going to be a great feast like you've never had before. But it all is the end. It all points toward the end. And Isaiah, if you read Isaiah's prophecy, He's kind of dealing with Judah and all the problems there and the other nations, and it's really, really bad. And he says, oh, I'm going to give you hope in the future. And he's talking about the kingdom. Isaiah 35 is one example. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. One of my favorite songs growing up in the Methodist church was, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise. The mute tongue will shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness. 
and streams in the desert. You know, Jay, that's spiritual. You're so silly. That's all spiritual, Jay. That's not really, I mean, that's not like real, real. It's spiritual. I don't think Jesus took it that way. And the Jews didn't take it that way. Right? Because John the Baptist, as, as spiritual as he was, was in prison, and his faith was kind of like, oh, he's having a hard time. And so he sends some of his followers to go up and talk to Jesus. He's like, all right, Jesus, look, I know I said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I, 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 you know, but I, look, I've been in jail for a while. I need some help. I, I, need, I need, throw me a lifeline, Jesus. And so Jesus says, I want you to go tell John the Baptist something. And what was that? Go back and report to John what you see in here. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. What was Jesus doing? This is not a spiritual thing. I mean, it is spiritual in ultimate sense. Okay, we'll get to that. Okay, but he was healing people. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. I need that. The dead are raised. And good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. That was Jesus' message to John the Baptist. Jesus wasn't just saying, this is just kind of a spiritual thing in your own heart. You know, those who can't see spiritually are now seeing spiritually. That is true, but that's not what he's talking about here, friends. The literal kingdom, literal healing was going on. Isn't that what happened in the passage we just read? It is. So as we consider the concept of a kingdom in Matthew, Jesus was preaching and teaching in the synagogues the good news of the kingdom. And again, D.A. Carson, he's kind of like the guy who wrote the commentary on, on Matthew. He says, there is a constant theme. The kingdom came with Jesus and his preaching and his miracles. It came with his death and his resurrection, and it will come at the end of the age. So what did Jesus do to validate his good news of the kingdom? Right? He's saying all these words. He's saying a lot. Nobody's ever preached like nobody. You hear that talk? I've never heard anybody ever talk like that man talks. He speaks like he's getting words straight from heaven. Wow. Are you sure he's the real deal? I mean, come on. Whatever. What's, what, does he have any street cred? Oh, he's got some street cred, right? Because of his works. In John's gospel, Jesus says, look, if you're not going to believe the words that I speak, at least believe the works. You've seen it. Believe the things that I've done. And so we see the healing, the healing works of Jesus. So he is preaching and teaching the good news of Jesus Christ and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Every is a pretty powerful word. My wife and I had this discussion often. We're having discussions using the word every time. We're like, wait. I can't really use every, because that means I do that all the time, sweetheart, and I know that I do a lot of really crazy stuff. I don't do it all the time, do I? So, but she, I'm sure it seems like I do it all the time. Every disease. Some commentators would say that sickness was almost eradicated in Palestine during the time of Jesus. Some go to that extent. I kind of use this every, you know, like, he was healing every kind of disease and sickness among the people. You take it how you want. Jesus is certainly great enough to heal every disease in Palestine if he chooses to do that. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, demon-possessed, 
those having seizures and paralyzed, and he healed them. So this word for healing is kind of near and dear to my heart. I'm a physical therapist. And so the word that we get for therapy, okay, comes from healing. And the diseases, I, I think it's just, um, you know, kind of a general list, okay? The biggies were being taken care of. Um, there's this general illness disease, severe pain. The um, NIV kind of fills that out a little bit. But friends, if you've ever suffered with severe chronic pain, you want healing. Demon possession. Well, see, that's big in Jesus' ministry. That word for seizures, really moonstruck. Think of the moon, you think of lunar, you think of lunatic. And people who act like lunatics also refer to people as, with ep- epilepsy. And then the word paralyzed. The word we use for paralyzed, which is paralyzed, is almost a transliteration of the word in the Greek. Paralyticus. Or liticus. So, healing every disease, list them. He healed them. He's bringing any kind of disease, Jesus could heal them. Because he was demonstrating that he is the Messiah. That the kingdom of God is near. We don't want to lose sight of this very important point. And this is actually taken from a commentary on Mark. Jesus' primary mission is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And we'll see this at the end because the the core of the good news is that you need spiritual healing. You may have chronic pain and illness, but unless your heart is transformed, it's not going to matter if I heal you or not. Because if I heal you and I don't transform your heart, you'll walk right into hell healed. All right, so, so this good news of the kingdom begins with a transformed heart. Okay, that's, that's the primary reason, right? Jesus came on a rescue mission. He came to rescue you from the kingdom of darkness. He didn't rescue people by making somebody who's lame walk. Oh, that's a good thing. If you will, Jesus came on a heart mission. The exorcisms and the healings are not showy displays of his power for self-aggrandizement. You know, in other words, that aggrandizement means that, you know, Jesus wasn't out to make a name for himself or make himself look good. But it's evidence that the power of the kingdom of God is breaking into human history through the Messiah's words and his deeds. Words, deeds, words, deeds, words, works. The miracles of Jesus validated his messiahship and his message. That's why they're included in the Gospels. Okay, we can't lose sight of that. So we have um, Jesus preaching, teaching, his healing, and now we have his following, right? He got some followers. News about him spread all over Syria. Large crowds from Galilee, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across from the Jordan followed him. Basically, all over, people were coming to see Jesus, to hear him, and to bring people who were lame and sick and infirmed and in pain for Jesus to heal them. And so you had the areas where the Jews were, down further south around Jerusalem, and then up where Jesus had his ministry, it was a mixed area, Jews and Gentiles. And remember, we we looked at Matthew's use of Isaiah chapter 9, that a light has dawned for the Gentiles. That light is the light of Jesus Christ. Jesus came primarily for the lost sheep of Israel, but he also came to the Gentiles. We see that. 
in this passage as well. So Matthew mentions all these different places, and the point he's trying to make is this, is that Jesus is not just some fly-by-night local you know, miracle worker. No, the impression that Matthew is conveying is that people were attracted to Jesus from very great distances. If you've ever been to Israel, you're going to walk from one spot to another, you're going to walk uphill someplace, and you're going to have to walk downhill someplace, and you're not walking on this smooth path. There's rocks everywhere. And by the way, there's not you know, a, a Wawa every 20 miles so you can get a cup of coffee. They were coming from all over where this evangelist Jesus was more than a petty healer in a tiny province. So here we have the first inclusio, the first bookend as we lead into the Sermon on the Mount, right? This is basically an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And then Matthew 8 and 9, we'll see the works of Jesus as Jesus heals. So the points to ponder. I've got two. Okay, I've got two. And the first one is, is this. Will you act on the good news of the kingdom? Will you act on the good news of the kingdom? Now, this is somewhat evangelistic in that I'm trying to reach people who haven't placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They haven't had their heart transformed by Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, I mentioned... And this is, this is also helpful for you as you try to reach out to people. I mentioned that, that the unsaved world, the world outside the church, okay, have the same, they have the same questions. They have the same exact questions, right? And the questions are this, how did we get here? Like when you're laying in bed, how, how did we get here? How did, all this, how did all this happen to be here? And by the way, what happened? Why are things so bad? The third one is, is, how will things ever be made right again? This world is so upside down. There's such devastation in the world. There's pain, sickness, disease, illness. There's war. There's social Ill. How will things ever be made right again? And because God has placed eternity in the heart of every person, what happens in the end? I mean, how does all this thing, stuff end up? And so the first question is, is how do we get here, right? How did, how did everything come into existence? I think we get this creation question. And again, I've made the point again and again Nobody intuitively thinks this stuff just popped out of nowhere. You have to convince a kid to the contrary. God is the creator. Because people get their you know, things have been created. You know, Satan blinds people, throws them into darkness with the lie of evolution. But the question is, how do we get here? But then what happened, right? And this is this is where, where we have this longing for change. Right? When we think about Poverty, when we think about sickness and illness and disease and cancer, we think about drug abuse, okay, we think about substance abuse, we think about war around the world, we think about what's happening in the world with pollution. What happened? What happened to the world? I've already mentioned it, right? Sin. Sin happened to the world. Just as sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin, and this way death came to all people because all sin. The world is the way it is because of sin. Now, there's an, an aspect of the fact that sin is so devastating that, that, that sin has affected the natural created order, and, and the world just isn't the way it's supposed to be. But then there are all the people who live in the world, right? And our hearts are wicked, and, and so we cause problems in the world. So, so how do things get the way they are? Actually, the bottom thing should be, why are things the way they are? Okay, didn't change that. So, so how did we get here? That should be what happened. What happened to the world? And sin happened to the world. And the most devastating 
element of sin is that it separates us from God, right? It has broken our relationship with God. I mean, living in a sin-cursed world is bad enough. But being separated from your creator is something that all people know. There's an issue. I have to give an account for my life. There is a creator. I've got to do something about that. And so what's the natural bent of humanity is, okay, what do I need to do? What am I going to have to do to make things right, okay? I'm going to go get in the Ganges River and take a bath, and I'll have all my sins washed away, or I'll, I'll do the five pillars of Islam. I'm going to make my hajj, have all my sins taken away, you know? All these works are based, all these religions are based on works, and it's because sin separates people from God. What can be done about it? How will things ever be made right again? That's the question. Sin is in the world. How will things be made right again? And that is the good news of the kingdom. Jesus is on a, a, a divine rescue mission. He wants to rescue the world from darkness. He wants to rescue the world from sin. He wants to bring us, not only does he want to just rescue us from sin, he wants to bring us into this wonderful kingdom where people have new hearts. There's a reorientation towards moral standards, real social justice, eradication of disease. Jesus is king. Jesus wants to deliver us from that. But the question is, is how will it be done? Or how is it been done? How has it been done? Jesus not only brings the good news of the kingdom, he makes it possible for us to enter into his kingdom. We're told in the Bible that, that no sinful person can enter the kingdom of God. So that problem of sin has to be eradicated. Sin has to be taken away. And that's what Jesus Christ did when he was on the cross. He came on that rescue mission, the divine rescue mission. And the scriptures tell us, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves in whom we have redemption. What? The forgiveness of sins. You cannot enter into the kingdom if your sins have not been forgiven. The rescue mission of Jesus entails centrally, at its core, the deliverance of people from sin so that he can bring them into the kingdom. So what will happen in the end? That's the next question. What's going to happen in the end? Well, it's interesting. In Revelation chapter 11, and the context of Revelation chapter 11 is it's the third series of judgments, right? So if you read the book of Revelation, uh, you have the seal judgments, chapter 6, okay? You have the trumpet judgments, chapter 7 and 8, okay? And then you have the bowl judgments up in chapter 11, okay? And the bowl judgments are the bad ones. They're the really, really bad ones, okay? And just prior to the bowl judgments, the last set of judgments, this is what we're told in Scripture, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever. Right? What happens in the end is that Jesus sets up his kingdom on the world. We prayed all the time, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the end, heaven comes down. And the kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of the Lord. And then he sets up a thousand-year kingdom. Right, so this is a timeline that I've put together. 
You can ignore rapture there. That's just one version of the rapture of the church. But you see that thousand-year reign, that thousand-year kingdom, and then it goes into the eternal state. Jesus, when he came the first time, offered this kingdom. He offered the kingdom. He began to say, this is what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. He begins to heal people. He begins to multiply food. It's an abundance of food. He begins to teach, as it were, the words of heaven to them as the king. He offered that to them. One of the saddest points in the Gospel of Matthew is, is right before Jesus is going to be crucified, he looks out over Jerusalem and says, I have longed to gather you as a mother hen wants to gather her chicks under her wings. Jerusalem, I wanted, to, I wanted to, to set up my kingdom here, but you have rejected me. You have rejected the offer of the kingdom. Your house is left to you desolate. They rejected his offer of the kingdom. They were told in the book of Romans that there's, there's this pause, that the offer is going to be made again. But in the end, Jesus Christ descends from heaven. Revelation chapter 9, he descends on a horse and on his, his thigh. It says, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming down to set up his kingdom. He defeats all of his foes. And he steps down on the, on, on, on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives splits. He walks right into the temple and he sets up his kingdom. That's what's going to happen in the end. And when Jesus sets up his kingdom, all this is gone. None of this is going to be on the earth. Don't you want to be there? I want to be there. I want to be in that place. And Jesus is offering that place. Right? So mentally you're like, okay, I want to enter the kingdom, Jay. You know, twist my arm anymore, right? Who's, who's going to say no to that, right? Who's going to say no to that? Nobody's going to say no to that. They might say, is it real? Okay, God has to give faith. But as we read Matthew's gospel, this is what was on the table. In the mind of the Jew, this is what was on the table. Don't over-spiritualize this. A literal kingdom was on the table. So, you say, I want to enter the kingdom. That sounds good. Okay, the problem is you got to deal with this. This has to be dealt with. There was a very, 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 very smart man. His name was Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was looking for all this. Nicodemus wanted to enter the kingdom of heaven. He wanted to be there. Jesus knew what was on his mind, right? That, 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 that encounter they have in John chapter 3, and Nicodemus says, yeah, you're doing all these things. You must be sent from God. You know, yeah, wow, you, you're just amazing. And Jesus says, sorry. Thanks for saying all that, but look, um, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, unless they are born again. Right? I know what you want, Nicodemus. You want the kingdom. You see everything that I'm doing. They're all the signs of the Messiah. Like when you, Nicodemus, I know you know Isaiah's prophecy. I know you know what the Messiah is going to do. I know that you see that in my life, and you're wondering, are you really the one that's sent from God? But the real question is, you want to know how you can get into the kingdom. And Jesus says, you must be born again. Remember the discussion? Nicodemus is like, can a man be born again 
a second time from his mom's womb? Is that possible? Is that really possible, right? He knew a little bit about, you know, medicine and physiology. Jesus says, come on, Nicodemus. You had to be born of water and spirit, right? You had to be born of water and spirit. Nicodemus is like, I don't understand. You talking about the water like when, the, when somebody's born? Jesus is like, Nicodemus, you say you know the, the scriptures, but I want you to think about Ezekiel. Remember, Ezekiel was talking about water being sprinkled. He was talking about the work of the Spirit and a new heart being given. That's what I'm referring to. He says, I will sprinkle you clean with water. I will take your heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my Spirit within you so that you'll obey my commands. That's the water in the Spirit. You've got to be born again if you want to enter into the kingdom of God. Only by being born again is your sin dealt with, right? That concept of being born again is like a new start, right? If you're new, then the old is gone, right? Paul even refers to that. You know, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. You're new. you got a clean slate. You're born again. You can enter into the kingdom. And it's not like the, the beautiful thing about this, you're a new creation in Christ is this. Even though you fail again, God is seeing you through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So in God's eyes, you're always clean. You're always ready to enter into the kingdom because your heart's been transformed. But you know, there's a flip side to this. Yeah, there's the kingdom of heaven, okay? But not everybody's going to enter into the kingdom, are they? So if you don't enter into the kingdom, if you reject the kingdom, what happens to you? I was talking to Chris before the service, and he actually, he actually mentions this. We're in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is telling the, you know, the, the wheat and the tares, and he's talking about the separation of the wheat from the tares and what's going to happen to the, the tares, the weeds. He says, the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That doesn't sound like a good place. Jesus came to rescue humanity from the domain of darkness. He says... I'll make a way for you. I'm so invested in this. You know, I'm going to die on the cross for you. I'll give you a new heart if you just come in faith. I'm pleading with you. Look, believe who I am. I've done all these miracles. Believe who I am. Believe my words. Right? And, and, And they rejected him. And we're told right here, for those who reject the offer of the kingdom, they are thrown into the blazing furnace, and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Then we see, in verse 43, thankfully, then the righteous will shine like the sun, what? Where? In the kingdom, in the kingdom of their father. He says, if you've got ears, I want you to listen. Here's the amazing thing. Who gives ears to listen? God does. Jesus came to rescue you from the kingdom of darkness. Where will you be when Jesus returns? I love what the angels say when Jesus ascends into heaven in Acts chapter 1. This, Jesus gives his final instructions. He ascends into heaven. They're like, you know, it's kind of like when you watch a balloon go up in there and you're like, where is it? You know, The angels are like, what are you looking at? He's going to come back. 
right here. He's coming back. People began to doubt that, right? If you read 2 Peter, people were like, you say Jesus Christ is going to return? He has, where has he been? He's, he's, he's not coming back. And Peter's like, hey, remember Noah's day? Noah said, a flood's coming. I'm building an ark. You need to repent. They're like, years and years pass. Nothing happening. I don't know. He's still building. You know, Noah, he's building that ark. You know, Noah. Then it started raining. <laughs> Peter says, just like in Noah's day, just like in Noah's day, Jesus Christ is going to return. Just as soon as he came the first time, he's coming again. Will you act on the good news of the kingdom? You have to come in faith. That's the first point to ponder. The second point is, is like really quick, okay, because it's 12 o'clock. Is your ministry one of both words and works? Right, for those of you who are believers, is your ministry one of both words and works? Right, Go and make disciples of all nations. How do you make disciples? You speak the truth of the gospel. You don't, you don't live the gospel. You speak the gospel. You live out the implications of the gospel. Okay, Your life has been transformed. You speak the words of the gospel. The works are love. Right, so they have to come together. Right? And sometimes we tend to weigh more towards another. If you're not speaking the words of truth, the words of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I said this a couple weeks ago, nothing's going to be saved by your good behavior, friends. But I love, I love the fact that, that, that the world is filled with young people who want social justice. I think that's a good thing. I don't think the way they're going by it is necessarily right. I think it's good that people want things to be right, Okay. But nobody's going to be saved by, by your good works. They're saved through the good word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They got to hear the name of Jesus. There's no name given under heaven by which a person is rescued from the darkness that leads them to hell into the kingdom of the Son he loves. There's no other name except the name of Jesus Christ. And we have to preach the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to rescue you from the kingdom of of darkness. Amen? All right. Let's pray, and then we will sing. I don't know what song we're singing, but sing out when it's time to sing, okay? I don't want to hear myself. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you loved enough to send your son into the world. Father, we thank you that you loved enough to ordain the brutal killing of your son, Jesus, on the cross to pay the penalty for sins, that you loved us that much. What great love it is that you would send your son to die on our behalf, to take away our sins so that we can be in your kingdom. Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's anybody here who has not trusted in your son, Jesus Christ, to take away their sins. I pray that you would work in their hearts, that this morning, that you would rescue them from the domain of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of your son. Father, as those who know and follow Christ, as those who are members of this church or just Christians in general, Lord, help us to remember that we need to be people of word and deed, that we must speak the truth of the gospel but we must also live out the implications of that. That we must love as you have called us to love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you would stand, we're going to sing.